And uh, let me just tell you, the skyline was very good. And I said in the first service, I, uh, I ought to get some kind of a promotional thing, you know, for uh, endorsing them publicly here. Well, we are in this series uh, called uh, Joy for Dummies that we're going to continue to explore. Now, before I jump into that, I, I do want to apologize. Um, I'm sorry if you came down this long hallway and they're doing a lot of construction today in and out of those classrooms. We were not aware ahead of time that they were doing that. And so I apologize for uh, the look of all that. And also want to tell you, in light of that, now that we know that that's the next section to be remodeled here, when you come next week, uh, we'll, we'll send you some emails and stuff ahead of time, but we'll probably redirect traffic next week a little bit, uh, have you parking in some different places again, uh, so that you can avoid that hallway and uh, not have to deal with their uh, construction. And just thanks for your patience as we continue to adjust uh, to life here at Mariner uh, based on their construction. Well, we are in this series called uh, Joy for Dummies, and we're, we're letting Paul teach us from a book in the Bible called Philippians. We're letting him teach us how we can have a life that is filled with joy. And uh, last week we began this, and last week we began by discovering that even in very difficult circumstances, like Paul writes this letter from prison, even in the midst of those circumstances, it is possible to have joy. Now, today... We're going to kind of see what the link is, as I alluded to in the video. We're going to find out the link between serving and joy. So before we jump into that, let's review. In case you weren't able to be here last week, let me bring you up to date on what we've discovered so far. As I said, it is possible to have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Paul did it from prison, and here's how. He focused his life on four very important things. Number one, he focused his life on right partnerships. He was all about relationships, and the relationships that he had with other people, he placed a high value on those in his life. Secondly, he focused on right priorities. His priority in life was, I want to help other people discover and hear about the story of Jesus. He was focused on the right power in his life. It wasn't about his power, it was about the endless power of God working through the Holy Spirit in him. And finally, it was all about a right purpose. And he had a very single-minded focus in life, his life as we'll just continue to discover in this book, was all about serving Jesus. And by having those focuses, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he was able to have a life full of joy. Now today, then, we're going to talk about serving. But there are two other principles you need to remember from last week, and in case you weren't here, these are kind of underwriting things for the whole series. First, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on what happens around me. It, is, it depends on my circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, is something that is internal. It is not dependent on my circumstances. It is a constant thing and it happens because of my relationship with God. I heard about an old uh, sweeper salesman. This happened many years ago. This uh, sweeper salesman knocked on the door of an old country house one time and the lady answered and uh, didn't open the door very far and he said very quickly, I'm here to sell you a sweeper today. Well, she tried to shut the door, but before she could, he barged into the house with a plastic bag of dirt, which he proceeded to dump out on the floor. And he said, I am so confident in my sweeper and that you're going to want to buy one that I guarantee it'll pick up every bit of this dirt or I'll eat what's left. She quietly dismissed herself, went to the kitchen, and she came back holding a plastic spoon. And she said to him, you better get started. We don't have any electricity out here. Now, he might have still had some joy in his life at that moment, but I'm guessing based on the circumstances, the happiness for that moment was gone. There's one other underlying principle that you need to understand there, that joy is a choice, it is not an emotion. Joy is a choice that I make in life, 
It is not dependent upon my emotions. So turn your Bibles to Philippians, the second chapter, and that's where we're going to explore today. And again, I hope you brought your Bibles and I hope you'll follow along with me. And I hope that you'll be reading the book of Philippians all throughout these weeks that we're looking at it in your quiet time at home. My wife and I, when we were first married, uh, our first apartment uh, in married life was a small apartment uh, that was located right next to some railroad tracks. Now, the railroad tracks were so close that when the trains would go through, by the hundreds every day it seemed, uh, when the trains would go through, we literally had to turn the volume on the television set up to be able to hear it. And if you were on the phone when the train went by, most times you just said to the person, I'll call you back, can't hear you because of the train. It was that loud. We sort of, you know, we all have those stories. You sort of start out on the bottom of the ladder when it comes to the home that you live in. Well, after we lived there for a couple of years, we took a couple of steps up the ladder of homes and, and we bought uh, a duplex, half of a duplex. In Ohio, they called it a, a twin single. And uh, so we were so excited. We owned half a house and we had, uh, you know, two bedrooms and a bath and a half. And we thought we had really arrived. Well, we lived there several years and later we moved to Florida and we moved to Florida, we took several steps up the ladder of houses because we bought not a half a house, but a whole house. And so we, you know, had three bedrooms, a house we still live in, a couple of baths, and that was great. We had taken those steps up the ladder of real estate. You probably have things like that in life that you can think about. You've been climbing the ladder, and you know, some of that's okay. But when you think about it, a lot of life is about a ladder, isn't it? It's about climbing the ladder of whatever. And in fact, life often gets to the point that we become driven by climbing the ladder. And we are constantly worried about staying one step above somebody else. I brought my ladder along today to demonstrate to you. I love being in here, but I can't wait to go back to the auditorium so I don't have to move things around just to make things fit on these little things. So let me illustrate this whole ladder climbing thing because I think if you think about it for a minute, you can identify. Uh, Peg and I, uh, we have this thing after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving, we always go shopping on that day. I know some of you guys think, are you crazy? Well, it's, it's my kind of shopping because it's not normal shopping. It's like seek and destroy type shopping. You know, you have a list, you go find what's on the list, and you get out of the store. Now, you've probably noticed there are some people who shop on that day who aren't very kind. In fact, they're downright mean. Because you know what? For them, that shopping experience is a ladder climbing experience. They've got to stay one step above everybody else. If there's a certain number of things that if the price has been cut, they have to make sure they get one. And if that means pushing and shoving or whatever, they've got to stay one step above. For some of you, the way that you drive in traffic is a ladder climbing experience. Because it's all about, I've got to get through the light first. I'm not going to let that guy cut me off. I'm not going to let them get in front of me because I've got to stay one step above. For some, in America it seems, team sports have become about ladder climbing. You know, it used to be, and still is in some cases, that when you were a part of a team, it didn't matter what happened to you as long as it was for the good of the team. But it seems in many cases in America today, Team sports have all become about me. It's become a ladder climbing experience. You know, if I'm not getting enough playing time or if I'm not getting enough touches on the ball, then I'm upset. I don't care what happens to the team. It's all about me. 
For some people, this election has become a ladder-climbing experience. It's all about me. Peg was uh, flying back from a short trip to Ohio earlier this week, and she sat on the plane next to a young 20-something guy, and uh, they began to talk about the election, which later I said to her, are you crazy bringing up the election? Um, Anyway, so in this discussion, though, it became very apparent that the candidate that he is for, all he's concerned about is what that candidate might be able to do for him. He had no idea that there were all of these other issues that might affect all of America. For him, it was all about, I'm going to vote for the guy that will do something for me that will help me stay a step above. It was about ladder climbing. Now, maybe this never happens at Crosspoint, but you know what? Even in church life, being involved in serving in a ministry can become about ladder climbing. It can become about, I've got to do it my way. I've got to do it the way I want to do it. It's all about staying a step above, in a sense. It's about ladder climbing. See, it can happen in any area of our life where we think that it's all about getting up the ladder. Well, I want to show you a passage of Scripture that Paul writes in this letter to Philippians. It's a section of the Bible that has become really famous uh, in terms of what it has to say about Jesus. And guess what? It's about ladder climbing. Not about climbing up the ladder. This passage is about climbing down the ladder. So look at Philippians chapter 2. And I want to begin in verse 6, and we're going to kind of jump around in this passage a little bit. Listen to what he says here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Talking about Jesus. Who, or he's talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He speaks of Jesus and that Jesus is equal with God. He's in heaven. He's ruling over the universe that He had a hand in creating. He, in a sense, is at the top of His ladder, a very different kind of ladder. But He is at the top of the ladder. Look what happens next though. But made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus takes one step down the ladder. Because here He is, ruling over the universe, equal with God, and He takes on the outward appearance of a man. He humbles Himself to do that. It's a step down the ladder. Then it says, "...and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death." He takes another step down the ladder. Because Jesus dies. He dies not because of anything that He has done. In fact, He dies because of all of the wrong that you and I have ever done. He humbles Himself and dies in our place. Verse 8 continues, even death on a cross. Another step down. Because not only does He die, but He dies in one of the worst ways known to man at that time. It was a torturous, horrendous way to die. And yet Jesus willingly does that. Verse 9 says then, therefore, because of what He was willing to do, because He came down the ladder, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Could it be that this is where joy is found? 
You see, joy isn't found in climbing the ladder. Joy is found when we are willing to get off the ladder and serve others. Now, we may experience happiness as we climb the ladder. I may go shopping after Thanksgiving and I might be the one who gets the last item that's on that great sale. And for that moment, I feel happy. I might be the, the car that gets through the traffic light first. Maybe that makes me happy for the moment. Maybe the coach says to me, you know what? You're going to start in this week's game. And for that moment, I feel a sense of happiness. But you know what? If, it's, if my happiness is all based on climbing the ladder, you know what also happens when I climb the ladder? There are a whole lot of things that happen that bring me great hurt and great disappointment. Joy is not found in climbing the ladder. Joy is found when I get off the ladder. Joy isn't when my focus is all on me. Joy comes when I take the focus off of me. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 5. Back prior to where we started reading earlier. He says, your, your, that would be us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, your mindset should be the same mindset that Jesus had. And Jesus was focused throughout His life on serving God and serving others. You know what? 16 different times in this short letter to the Philippians, Paul talks about our mind or our attitude or our mindset. He says this joy-filled life is all in your mind. It's all in your attitude. It's all in your mindset. And Jesus modeled for us a mindset that said joy is not about climbing the ladder. Joy is not about having a me-first, self-centered attitude. Now, Jesus modeled, joy is found in getting off of the ladder, putting the focus on other people. It's about having a mindset that says serving others is valuable to me. Now, how do we, how do we live that out? How do we make that a reality in our lives? I want to go back to verse 1. And I want you to see what Paul says there because I think he gives us some insight into how this joy-filled, serving others attitude can be a reality. He says this in verse 1, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Now these first several things that he lists here really are characteristics of people who have decided to step across the line of faith, people who have said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to allow Him to be the leader of my life. And he begins by saying, if you're united with Christ, if you've made that decision if any comfort from His love, if there has been comfort experienced in your life because you've come to understand the depth of the love that Jesus has for you, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, if any tenderness and compassion that comes as a result of the Spirit working in your life, then He says, here's what I want you to do, Paul says, then make my joy, there's that word, my joy complete. Be let my life be filled with joy. And I think he infers here that our lives can be full of the joy in the same way. Let my joy be complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, all about other people. And we could spend all morning just talking about those things, but I want to focus more on what he says beginning in verse 3. Here's how we can make his joy complete. Here's how we can make our joy complete. 
do nothing. You ought to underline that word. You ought to highlight it. You ought to circle it. Do nothing. Nada. Not a thing. Absolutely nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest. Now, notice there, he says, not only to your own interest. Obviously, he doesn't say, don't look at your own interest at all. Don't take care of yourself. He's not suggesting that. He's not saying, well, you, you shouldn't worry about meeting your own needs. You shouldn't worry about having food on the table. You shouldn't just ignore yourself. You don't have to go out and live in poverty in some shack somewhere. He says, not only on your own interest, but also to the interest of others. By the way, the word that he uses for joy there, the Greek word, means calm delight. Isn't that a great word picture? A picture somewhere that you've been or something that's happened in life where you feel that sense, where you would describe it as, I had calm delight delight. Paul says, if we'll move the focus off of ourselves onto others, that kind of calm delight, that kind of joy could be ours on a regular basis. Now, I want you to think just for a minute and let those words soak in. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Think about your own life. How often could you say you actually have that attitude that I would do nothing out of selfish ambition? You know what? If you're honest this morning, and if I'm honest, if I think about my life honestly, an awful lot of my life is motivated by selfish ambition. What can I get out of it? How's it going to affect me? Will I stay a step above somebody else? Paul suggests, now he encourages us that if we want to get off the ladder, it begins by having this attitude that says, I will do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing out of selfish ambition. How do we do that? How do we make that a reality? Let me suggest this morning a couple of changes in attitude that I think Paul infers in this passage. The first is, I need to live like the world does not revolve around me. I need to live like the world does not revolve around me. There was a story in Reader's Digest some time ago about a uh, flight for a particular airline that was canceled because of bad weather. And so there was a single agent trying to rebook all the people off of this canceled flight. And most people were waiting very patiently in line. But one gentleman became very agitated and forced his way to the front of the line. He slammed his flight information down on the counter and said, I have to have a flight now and it has to be first class. The agent very patiently said, Sir, I'll be happy to take care of you. You're going to need to wait in line until it's your turn. I have to take care of these other customers first. Very angrily, he shot back, Do you have any idea who I am? To which the agent picked up the microphone without even really hesitating and made an announcement. She said, Your attention in the terminal, please. There is a gentleman here at gate... B7, who has no idea who he is. If anyone could help him discover his identity, please step up to the counter. To which all the people who are waiting in line burst into applause and he slithered back into line. You know what? Nobody enjoys somebody being in the room who thinks that they are the most important. 
Nobody respects somebody who believes that the world and acts like the world revolves around them. I hear people sometimes um, criticize the entitlement mentality that they think they perceive in certain groups of people. That entitlement mentality that says the government owes me or somebody owes me, some agency owes me something. You know what the truth is? If we're really honest, all of us in some varying degree have an entitlement mentality that acts like the world revolves around me and that somebody owes me something. Paul says, if you want to have joy, get rid of that attitude. Quit acting and thinking like the world revolves around you and that somebody owes you something. Uh, with permission, I tell you the story about my youngest son, Matthew. Um, he, he plays on the JV football team here at Mariner, and we were at his game Thursday night. And Thursday night in the game, he didn't play as much as he has played in some of the other games. And so when he came home, I thought, He's going to be really upset about that. He's going to be ticked at the coach that he didn't get into the game. Well, to my surprise and really delight, when he came home, he wasn't upset about it. In fact, his comment basically was the guy that who had played in his place some of the game, he said, you know, Dad, in practice this week, I took almost all of the reps. And you know what? It really wasn't fair to that kid. They put him into the game. He didn't have much practice this week. He didn't really know what to do. You know, if they're going to play him that much in the game, they need to give him some more reps in practice. I thought, I know, Matt, that is awesome. I don't know that that would have been my attitude. I think my attitude would have been a little more that maybe things revolve around me and I want my playing time. You know, when we can get rid of that attitude that the world revolves around me, then we'll take the first step towards getting off the ladder. So let me recommend some simple actions that I think that you could take in your life to get rid of this the world revolves around me attitude. First, listen to the Bible more than yourself. You know what? If we would spend more time listening to what the Bible has to say about us, we'd be better off because the Bible puts life in the right perspective. We tend to listen more often to our culture when we buy into what our culture says about ourselves. If we'd spend more time listening to what the Bible says, it helps put life in the right perspective and would help us get rid of this world revolves around me kind of attitude. Secondly, I'd encourage you, create or cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. If we would spend more time being thankful, if we would look more carefully at our life and all of the things that we have and the ways that we have been blessed and how God is at work in our lives, we'd have less of a tendency to think that the world needs to revolve around me. Third, I'd encourage you, seek and celebrate God's grace at work in other people. You know what? God is so gracious so filled with grace and He pours out His grace in people's lives all around us. But sometimes we are so worried about my little world that we don't take time to see how God is dispensing His grace to other people. And if we spent more time noticing how grace-filled God is towards other people, maybe we would act with more grace towards other people. Fourth, I'd encourage you, invite and pursue correction and counsel. Invite and pursue correction and counsel. Have some people that you will allow to speak correction into your life. When they see you with this, the world revolves around me attitude, that they would speak to it. Be willing to take counsel from other people. You see, when we can get to the point that we would humble ourselves enough to allow other people to speak truth into our lives, we are beginning to overcome the world revolves around me attitude. Next, I'd encourage you, 
Learn from everyone, including your critics and your enemies. Learn from everyone, including your critics and your enemies. Now, maybe it's only me, but occasionally I have some critics in my life, and there are some enemies probably in my life. And you know what? I am wise when critics speak into my life that I would be humble enough to listen and say, you know what, there might be some truth in what they're saying, and maybe I could learn from that truth. Or as I watch the lives of people that maybe I'm not very fond of, to be humble enough to say, you know what, there are probably some things I could learn from their life. Finally, exalt the name of Jesus in everything you do. You know what? The goal of our lives ought to be to spread the fame and the honor of Jesus everywhere we go. And if my first thought in life would be, does what I'm going to do increase the honor of Jesus? Does it increase His fame? Does it exalt the name of Jesus? there would probably be many, many times I would be far less likely to have an attitude that the world needs to revolve around me. A second change that I think that I would suggest that I think Paul infers here in this passage is I will help wherever I am needed. There's no job too little for me. There is no one who is too far beneath me. There is no task that is too unimportant. I will help wherever I am needed. I heard about some Boy Scouts in Surrey, England. I'm not sure if I'm saying the city right. These uh, Boy Scouts, you know, like a lot of Boy Scouts, were intent on trying to do good deeds for people. And uh, a couple of these Scouts, uh, for several days in a row, tried to do a particular good deed. But after a few days, they were actually told to stop doing their good deed. By the way, this is an actual Scout troop from that city in England. But um, So uh, after a couple of days, they were told, you, you need to stop doing that. You know what they had had been doing? They had found this perfect spot in the road where if they held up a sign warning people that there was a policeman just down the road with a radar gun, they helped those people not get a speeding ticket. I think it was a great way to help out people. They were willing to help wherever they were needed. You know what we would do a lot to help ourselves stay off of the ladder? If we would be willing to help wherever we are needed. If we really were at the point where we would say, you know what, whatever needs done. I'll be willing to do it. Uh, we had a handful of people around here yesterday, uh, around from Crosspoint yesterday, that demonstrated that attitude. And, and having this attitude is a, is a part of the reason that we are intent on serving our community because of what not only it does for our community, but also what it does inside of us. We had a handful of people who came here to Mariner yesterday and they spread some mulch out here in one of the courtyards that you guys never go into, probably. And you know what? Nobody... That when they come to school tomorrow, nobody will have any idea who did that. But the people who were here doing it were saying, I'll help wherever needed. And I think the joy level in their life probably rose yesterday because they were willing to serve others. We had some guys who went out and uh, mowed some yards of single moms around our community. And you know what? Most people will never know who came and did that. Those guys didn't do it so they'd be known. They did it because they wanted to serve. They were willing to say, I'll help wherever needed. And we had a group of people who went and picked up trash at the yacht club. And I said in first service, great leader that I am, I said, and no, the trash is probably back today. But, um, but for the time that it was cleaned up yesterday, what a blessing to people. And you know what? Nobody will ever have any idea who came and picked up that trash. But it was people who were willing to say, I'll help wherever I'm needed. And when we will have that kind of attitude when we serve people like that, It's a step off the ladder and it puts us in a place where we can experience joy in our lives. 
Look, I want you to look at two other verses in Philippians. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17. And I think this sort of sums it all up. He says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Now, quick explanation of what he's saying there is simply that Paul's saying, you know, if I am, if my life is being poured out in sacrifice for you guys as I'm here in prison and as I watch the service that you guys are doing, and obviously the people in the Philippi church were all about serving. He says, as I watch that in my life, here's what happens in verse eight, next part of the verse. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, as I serve and as I sacrifice myself here in prison and as I watch you serve other people, I am full of joy. And as you serve, he says, you ought to be full of joy as well. Joy is not found in climbing the ladder, Paul says. He says joy is found when I get off of the ladder. And I move the focus from me to serving others. You want joy? Paul says you can have it. You can have it when you choose to have a mindset that says, it's not all about me. I will help wherever I am needed. I will serve other people. And as we change our minds about that, Paul says we'll experience joy. In fact, our lives can be full of joy. And I'd like that. How about you? Let's pray together. God, I thank You for, this, for the great example of Paul. And I thank You for the joy that comes into our lives as we serve others. God, I pray that You would help us to really believe that what Paul says is true and that You'd help us to begin to practice it in our lives. God, would You help us every day this week to really look carefully at our lives and to make sure that we stay off of the ladder and that we stay in a place in our lives where we can truly serve others. And God, I thank You in advance for what, how I know that You will work in our lives as we trust You in this area. I thank You for the joy that we will experience as we focus our minds on serving others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.